All right. How are you guys doing? Good? Okay, when is your guys' spring break? Do you know? Next week? Right. Well, you have to skip school on some of the days that we have events. Just kidding, but you might have to. First um, John chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Uh, the title of the message is, If You Know, You Know. And we're going to be in verses 6 through 13. Uh, if you're taking notes today, which we would encourage you to do, um, and we'll, we'll kind of, this is our second to last message within our series of First John. Uh, we have uh, in theory, one more next week, uh, unless Jesus comes back, then I won't be here, uh, and hopefully you won't either. So, um, but have you guys ever been uncertain about something? You guys know what it means to be uncertain, a little uneasy, unsettled, right? Uh, maybe like you, you take a test, and then afterwards, you're kind of like uncertain about the grade you got. You're like, I, okay, I think I did good. You know, I, I actually studied for this one. You know, I, okay, I felt pretty good about, I felt like I knew most of the answers, you know, but there's like that uncertainty or maybe, have you ever guys, have you ever crossed like a river or like a little creek um, and, and you're kind of going across and it's pretty sketch because there's like these rocks, but you don't know how stable or slippery they are, you know, and, and you're kind of like going one by one. You're uncertain about it, right? You, you kind of, you're on solid ground and you kind of touch, okay, solid. And then you go on and you're like, oh, that, that one's not solid. And so you kind of step back. And you're kind of going, and you're uncertain, right? It's like, okay, I, yeah, I'm not sure what this looks like. Um, has anyone ever walked on like a, like a frozen lake? Probably not a good idea. You should probably never do that. Um, you, there's way too many movies about that kind of stuff. Um, but, right, I, hopefully, in common sense, you'd be a little uncertain about it, right? You'd be, okay, yeah, you know, I'm not sure. Is this going to crack? Can it hold my weight? Um, you know, you, I, I don't think I've ever been on like a... a you know, you see in the movies, there's always like the bridges, like in the middle of the jungle. That's like, you know, you're not sure if it's going to crash through. Um, but you guys can understand this concept of uncertainty, right? And uncertainty in our lives causes a few different things. Usually it causes worry. It causes a little bit of anxiety. It can cause fear and uh, it, can, it can make us timid. And what we're going to look at today is that there is one thing above all else that you and I uh, should be certain and confident in. And we're going to look at that one thing today. And if you know, then, then you know. But last week, if you were with us, we looked at the first five verses in chapter five, and we looked at how our response out of a relationship with love should be obedience, right? We, we looked at how his commandments are not something that should be burdensome, but that his commandments are actually the very thing that benefit our life more than anything else in this world. And now this kind of, we're going to transition and, and uh, he, he's going to be kind of winding down the letter. And this is one of his last thoughts that he really wants to leave with the readers. And you and I are the audience as of today. So let's look at verse 16 and we'll read down to verse 13. Uh, but I do want you to know uh, that we're going to kind of fast forward through most of our verses today. And our goal, our focus for today is verse 13. So if you ever highlight or underline, verse 13 is going to be the verse to underline today, okay? So starting in verse 6, the Bible says, This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ not only came by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. 
For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And these are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. Verse 9, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him or has made him a liar, God, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Verse 11, and this is the testimony of God, that God has given us eternal life and the, this life is in his son. And he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. And verse 13, our focal point for today, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. God, we thank you for your word and that we have your word as our rock that we can come back to and in times of loneliness, in times of doubt, in times of frustration, that we can come to your word and find your personal promises contained in the Bible. Lord, that can give us encouragement and that can give us direction. And Lord, I pray today that as we leave this room, that for each one of us, we would be more confident in you, that we would have such a simple trust that we are yours and you're not letting us go anywhere. And so Lord, do a work in our midst now as we study the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. Right. So in verses six through 10, as kind of, we're gonna remember zoom past these verses, but we need the context so that we can actually understand verse 13. What we find in verse six through 10, you can note down, we see God's testimony. Notice, he, we see the, the Trinity here. We see uh, a couple different things. We see how the spirit of truth bears witness. Uh, basically, that, that God himself, uh, by his word, uh, is his, it's his testimony, as if he were to go into court and say, this is what I have done, and that his witness is greater uh, than any man's witness, and that if we don't believe what God has said, then we are calling God a liar by default. And notice it says that Jesus Christ has come and God bears witness of this. And he has come, look in verse six, he comes by water and blood. And it's gonna be very, what do you mean he comes by water and blood? Well, there's some debate on exactly what it means, but I think as we kind of meditate on this, I think there's two things that pop out and a lot of commentators agree. Uh, the water represents Jesus's baptism. The fact that, that he has come and water represents that he came and he became like you and I, and he was baptized. He, he decided to become reliant on God like you and I have to be. And then the blood represent, resembles the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is just, these are, those are two really big things, obviously, in Jesus' life. And this is what God has said has happened in his word. And guys, you need to know that our faith is not based upon nothing. You and I don't believe in a fairy tale. 
You and I believe in a historical account that actually happened, that you and I, our faith is founded upon fact, and it's founded upon reliable testimony and God's word being that reliable testimony. And so we, we see that, this kind of, these truths in verses 6 through 10. And then in verse 11 through 13, um, it begs the question, okay, do we know this? Do we know this personally for you and for I? If you notice in verse 11, you can look in your Bibles. It says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. If God had one message to tell you, if he could boil this book down into one sentence, it would be verse 11. Look again, that's a pretty big deal. It's the fact that he gives eternal life and the only place to find that eternal life is in his son, Jesus. That is God's most important thing that he could relay and communicate to you. That is why this book was written this is what you and I are doing here. It's because God has given us everlasting life and it's found in his son, Jesus. It is the gospel. And I love verse 12 too because of just the simplicity. And it goes right along with this, this essential message that God wants to communicate to you and to I and to the world. And that's the fact that if we have Jesus, we have life. And if we don't have Jesus, we don't have life. That's the gospel. Another way to put it is this. If we know Jesus, then we know life. K-N-O-W. If we know Jesus, then we're gonna experience and know what everlasting life is. But if, if we have no Jesus, N-O, then we're not gonna have any life. That the Bible begs the narrow-minded view. In our culture today, being narrow-minded is a negative thing. According to the Bible, if we're not narrow-minded, then there's, some, there's an issue because Jesus was extremely narrow-minded. And he said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, means there's no other way. I am the truth, no other truth. And I am the life, no other life. If you wanna come to God, you must come through me. Jesus said clearly that the road to heaven is narrow and there are, uh, there are few who find it. But the, the gate to destruction, the road to destruction is wide and many go by it. That there's one way to inherit everlasting life. There's one way to heaven and it is by Jesus in him alone. Hopefully a truth that you know and hopefully a truth that you're familiar with. John three sixteen, the most famous verse in the Bible begs that there's one way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why would God send Jesus if there was another way? There's simply not. Jesus is it. And this is the core message that God wants us to know and be acquainted with and, and, be, and have a good understanding of. And, and so that is the context to verse 13, which is gonna be, our focal point is gonna be what we meditate and look at today. You see, 1 John 5.13 is one that you wanna to commit to memory. It's one that you should come to often because of the, the impact and truth that it really does have uh, on our lives as Christians. And so let's look at it one more time together. 
and it says this, verse 13, in, in light of what we just talked about, the simplicity of the narrow gospel, he says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I love this because he, he really makes his intended purpose ultra clear here. He says, these things, look in your Bible and notice verse 13 where it says, these things. These things kind of have two contexts. It has the immediate context of what we were just talking about. He says, I'm wanting to communicate to you the testimony of God, the fact of eternal life, this simplicity of the gospel, but also these things refers to what we've been learning over months together now as we've been reading this book that John's getting to the end. He says, hey, the whole reason that I've been writing to you about prayer, the whole reason I've been writing to you about loving one another and this, that, and everything we looked at is for this reason. And notice that who he's talking to is made abundantly clear as well. I want you to look at verse 13 and tell me, who is he talking to? Who is he addressing? Who is his audience specifically? Verse 13 gives us a very, very good hint. Actually, gives us the answer. It's not even a hint. It says, these things are written to who? Not to you, but to specifically, what, what does it say? To believers, right? Look at, look at your Bible. It says, these things are written to those who what? Believe. They're written to people that trust and have faith in the name of Jesus for salvation. Meaning that what he's about to say has, has for the unbeliever, has no weight. It, it carries no value to them. He is talking only to the believer. And I want you to keep that in mind. And then we find the purpose. He says, these things I write to you who believe, right? To believers, so that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe. You know, it makes sense why John is clarifying to, he, uh, to whom he is writing. Because he says, I'm writing to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. But think how John would never want an unbeliever to think that he has eternal life. That would be the greatest error. That would be the greatest thing to come to someone and say, hey, you don't believe in Jesus? You're not a believer? You don't have your faith in him? It's okay. You can, you can know that you're going to have eternal life. It's not true. And he just clarified that a second ago. Look at the Amplified Bible. It says it like this. It says, so that you will know, meaning with settled and absolute knowledge. It's without doubting. That what John wants for his readers is for them to have a settled confidence in their eternal destination. That he wants them to know settled, absolute knowledge without doubting. And if there's one thing necessary to be sure about, it's where you're going when you die. There's nothing more important. You guys hearing me? There's nothing more important than you being able to answer the question of where you are headed. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more relevant. The word to know here, it means to be aware of a fact. It's, it's to be aware of something. It's to have, have this, this knowledge, but this absolute 
knowledge. And it shows up in 1 John more than 30 times. And as a Christian, if we, if someone asks us if we're going to heaven, our answer ought not to be, I think so, or I hope so. And so you could write in your, if you're taking notes, answers I shouldn't have, I hope so, and I think so. That if there's anything that you should be certain about, it should be where you are going when you die. But what I find so common is that this is people's answers. It's, oh, I think so. It's almost like they don't want to assume, or maybe there is serious unsettledness. And so they say, well, I hope so. I think so. But think about this for a moment. There's certain things in life where we don't want it to be a think so or a hope so. Right? Imagine if you were getting surgery and uh, you, know, you got like the funny little hat on and you know, weird clothes and stuff. And right before you're going to surgery, you're kind of nervous. And so you're asking your doctor, hey, um, you know what you're doing, right? Like you, you, you have a plan. And he's like, yeah, I think so. I, I hope so. What would that cost? That would be, you'd be like, mm, nope, we're not doing this. Nope, we're backing out and not doing this. Or uh, what about as you, as you board the plane and you're kind of, you know, you're getting to your, uh, you're going through that weird little hallway thing that's really stuffy usually. And, and, you, and you see the captain and, and you kind of overhear a conversation between him and the flight and the, and the stewardess. And the stewardess is saying, hey, uh, you, are you ready for today? Like, do you know what you're going to be doing? Do you know where we're going? He's like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I hope so. Hope it, all, hope it all works out. And there's almost like an uncertainty. In it. That's when you leave. You don't get on that plane, right? Um, or what about, um, have you guys ever wanted to go bungee jumping or skydiving? You, who's gone bungee jumping? Really? That is awesome. Was it awesome? The terrifying? Now imagine, okay, imagine this. This would be terrifying if you get there and you get the harness on, right? It's like a harness that they put on you, right? They, and then they put the little bungee to you. And imagine as you're, as, as you're there, and you say, hey, this thing's going to hold, right? Like, this is, this is legit. Like, this has been tested. And you're like, yeah, hope so. Yeah, I think, think so. Should, should be good. Like, you'd be like, get this harness off me right now. What about skydiving? That'd be cool to go on. Imagine right before you go skydiving and you've got your, you know, what do they call it? Parachute. You have your parachute on. And, and you're like, hey, this thing's going to work, right? Like, it's, it's, been, it's been tested before. I'm like, yeah, I think so. Yeah, ho- hope so. Maybe. It would incite fear into you. Um, or, and especially, you know, what a leader doesn't want to hear at the end of a long event. And when we ask you, hey, your parents coming? And you say, yeah, I hope so. I think so. That would, that would be uncertain, right? Um, but you guys understand, like, there are some things in life where we don't accept uncertainty. We say, nope, I will not move until this is certain. Yet how do we live life having an uncertainty about the next. There is nothing more important than to be certain. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. The call and election is just uh, another way of, of talking about salvation, how God has called us and how he's chosen us to be his sons and his daughters and and if there's anything that we should be diligent in, if there's anything that we should have confidence in and know, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going there. It should be this issue that when someone asks us, hey, are you going to heaven? It shouldn't be, I think so, or I hope so. It should be, I know so. It should be, I know so. 
2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, Paul would tell the Corinthians, he would say, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? And as we look at 1 John and everything we've talked about, how we're to walk in the light and not in darkness, how we're to love one another and obey God, that 1 John is an amazing testing ground. It's an amazing evaluation that we should look at what we've learned and see, okay, yeah, okay, am I doing, is there fruit in my life? Am I loving other people? And those things give us assurance as we look at them. Now, they're not, of course, there's not perfection in those categories, but if there's not growth, if there's not fruit, then we need to examine and see if we're even in the faith. See, if the answer is yes, then Jesus Christ is in you. But we must move from faith to full assurance. We can't just stay at faith and not move to full assurance. Why? Because there is a difference between having eternal life and knowing that you have eternal life. I mean, okay, you might, if you, if you are saved, then you, you have eternal life. But if you're uncertain, it's gonna cause, you're not gonna be able to access that that kind of life now. Uh, meaning that if someone was a, a, a millionaire, but they didn't know they had a million dollars, wouldn't do them a whole lot of good, right? They have to not just have it, but they got to know they have it. And for the Christian, okay, yeah, you will, if, if you're uncertain in this area and you just kind of live your life without that uncertainty that, okay, I know I'm saved, but oh, I'm not sure if God is actually, do you think he'll keep his promise? And you will have a miserable life here. You'll get to heaven because Jesus is sacrifice, but the life that God wants us to have now, the confidence that he wants us to have now, notice it says, looking back at verse 13, it says that you have eternal life, present you might say, well, I'm gonna get eternal life when I die. No, you have eternal life now if you're a believer. See, eternal life is not just about living forever. Everyone's gonna live forever. It's not about the quantity, but rather about the quality. It's about where you're gonna spend eternity. And now you can access heaven living now. I mean, even the prayer, uh, the, the model prayer that Jesus gives us is that um, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, it's not that we can have this like blissful heaven paradise now, but the Bible says that eternal life in John 17, that eternal life is to know Jesus and it's to know God. That eternal life is not just about a location, it is about a person. And you and I can know that person now. We can experience eternal life now. We don't have to wait until we die. It's awesome. John 8, 32 said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You see, I believe that you can be saved and still have doubt. But if you let that doubt settle, it's not that, okay, now, now because I have doubt, I'm gonna get unsaved. It doesn't work like that. When you're saved, you're saved once. When you're born again, you can't like be unborn again. When the Holy Spirit enters your life, he's not going to leave. God literally promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But us as believers, when we have doubt and we start to think, man, 
I know I made that decision to follow Jesus. I remember that camp. I remember when I got baptized. I remember that. And you start to question that and you start to have this doubt. You just can't dwell in doubt. That's when you have to come back to the word and see what it says. You have to see verses um, such as John chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. John chapter 10, it's a couple of slides down. John chapter 10 says this, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. It's an amazing picture that Jesus gives the disciples in John chapter 10, where he describes those who trust him and believe him. Jesus says, I got you. And then, but it also says, then the father's got you. And so you have this picture of this double-handed got you. No one's gonna snatch you away. Once you are mine, I am never letting you go. But yet we, we might say amen to that now. We might say, that's awesome. But what about Wednesday when you're feeling lonely and it feels like God doesn't love you? Or when it feels like you, you may say you mess up and you do sin and you think, man, am I even going to heaven? See, those, those questions, that's when we need to come back to the word and we, rem- we need to remember that God always finishes what he starts. Philippians 1.6, this is a verse that I have committed to, to memory and it's inside my heart because I need to remember. I need to remember Philippians 1.6, that I need to be confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in me, that he's gonna complete it. He's gonna finish it. So even when I feel like I'm done, God says, I'm not done awesome. And this is the confidence that God so wants us to have. And you guys know what it looks like to have confidence, to be bold. You guys do it when you go home. You don't walk into your house timid. You don't walk into your, I mean, unless you're like trying to sneak around, but you know, if you come home after a long day of school, you, you bust open that door, you throw your backpack over there, you flip off your shoes and your mom's yelling at you to not do that, pick up your socks, but that you have this confidence. Yeah, this is my house. I live here. This is my room. I'm a I'm going to do whatever I want. I'll put on my PJs at 3, 3 p.m. That's cool. And you have this confidence. Or, or, or what about when you go to your parents' car, you know, after you go grocery shopping or something? You go up to that car like, this is, this is our car. I'm going to open this door. I'm going to get a shotgun. And you have this boldness, this confidence, because, because you have this certainty. That this certainty breeds this boldness. And it breeds this confidence. And, and God would want you to have that in regards to salvation. Now, there might be those moments of doubt, but that's when we need to come back to the word and we're either gonna believe what Jesus tells us or we're not gonna believe him. You believe that it's your house because it is your house and because your parents have told you this is where we live. But why don't we believe God in those moments of doubt when, when we go back to John 5.24 and John 6.47? When Jesus, he literally says, most assuredly, he's trying to assure the disciples, hey, this is truth. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment has passed from death to life. That as a believer, this is what you and I have experienced. Whether we live in it, that's a different story. But our souls have passed from death to life He then says again, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. The question is, do you believe him? Do you believe him? 
C.H. Spurgeon, a famous uh, preacher and writer um, in, the, in the later 1800s. Hopefully you've heard of him. Awesome, awesome guy with awesome books. He says this, full assurance is not essential to salvation, but it is essential to satisfaction. Meaning, that's the idea that someone can, yes, be in the family of God, be a son or daughter of God, and still have doubt. But until, unless, if you keep dwelling in those doubts, you will never be satisfied on this side of eternity. You have to turn those doubts into, give them to the Lord, cast the things that give you anxiety and maybe that you worry about, and you come to him and he can reassure you. He can give you confidence. He can remind you, hey, no, that's not what I've said. You are mine. You will always be mine. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That the full assurance only come by God's word. And yet there are so many believers that lack this confidence, that they're uncertain, they're unsettled, and which usually means that that Christian life is lacking. Because when they don't have that, when a believer does not have that confidence that they are God's and forever his and that they will be with him, that if it's the I think so and I hope so, I almost guarantee you that believer isn't doing much for the kingdom because they don't have that confidence. They don't have that boldness. And some even have that fear of losing their salvation. They'll do something wrong and and they'll pray to God that, that he wouldn't leave. He's never going to leave. He will never let you down. But I can tell you from experience, the result of just having this, the result of just saying, okay, God, I'm going to believe you. When you say you've given me everlasting life, I'm gonna, I know because of your word. This is all we have to stand on. And it is more than enough. It contains the very promises of God. But the result of that is a peace that surpasses understanding. And when the Bible says that we can have a peace that surpasses understanding, what that means is that if you know you are saved and and you have that peace of where you're going, then you can go through the most difficult things in life, yet remain immoved. You can remain steadfast. You can have hope. And it doesn't make it, okay, now, now everything's easy and peachy, but that for the Christian, because of their steadfast certainty and hope, it anchors our soul. It brings us contentment when we shouldn't be content. It brings us peace and joy when we shouldn't have peace and joy because we know there is more and we're confident of that. Again, Spurgeon says uh, about this full assurance and this certainness, he says, the full assurance man baffles the very devil. It means it confuses the devil. Satan is cunning enough, but those who know and are persuaded, convinced, are birds which he cannot take in the snares of hell. When you know that your Lord is able to keep that which you have committed to him until that day, then you are firm as a rock. God make you so. And he he says again, he says, brethren, if you know that you have eternal life, you are prepared to live and equally prepared to die. And that is the best line I've ever heard. That for you and I as believers, that we are prepared to live, we're prepared, hey, whatever happens, I'm just gonna serve the Lord because whether I live or die, I'm gonna live it for Jesus. And I'm, I'm ready to live for him, but if I, if I die, okay, I get to be with him. That the worst thing is the best thing that can happen to a believer. It's awesome, it's amazing. 
And guys, this for you is not something that's unattainable. It's not. It's not something that, that you can't attain, that God wants you to have this absolute assurance. But it's going to be up to you today whether you're going to believe what God has told you. When he says, I'm not going to leave you, when he says, I'm not going to leave you unfinished, do you believe him? And it's God who will then do the willing and the doing in our hearts. I want to share with you one last verse, and it's in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Uh, John, of our, our author in 1 John, is also the writer of John the Gospel. And he ends John the, go- uh, John the, the book, the Gospel. He ends it very similarly to how he ends this letter. He says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, but which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. That the things that are written in the word, they are designed to give us confidence in salvation. They're designed that as we read them, that as... As we read the book of John, that we think about what Jesus did, and and it gives us confidence. And so usually, if there's a believer who is questioning salvation, who is shaky in their faith, it's usually because there's a lack of this. And so for you, if you're like, man, I, I feel like I have those moments often where I question my salvation or I question, oh man, did I, but when I was five, did I really believe it? You don't have to think about the past. Do you want Jesus now? The Bible says to abide in him. You don't have to think about, okay, was, was that it? Do you want to follow him? Then follow him and trust his word and get into his word to know his promises. But guys, if you don't have Jesus in your life, that you've never made that decision to follow him and to actually receive him as Lord, if it's only a knowledge up here, but not a knowledge down here, don't be tricked in thinking that you have life. You see, the last thing I'd want anyone to leave this room doing is if you are an unbeliever and you don't know God and you don't have that personal relationship, I would not want you leaving thinking that you do. There'd be nothing worse. I believe that is the main lie that, that, that Satan would like to spread around the entire world. He would like people to be on the pathway to destruction and hell thinking that they're going to heaven. There's no better way because then there's nothing to worry about. But you, if you're a non-believer, you have nothing but uncertainty in your life. And you need, to, you need to turn to Jesus if you want everlasting life, if you want your sins forgiven. And so as we close, I just want to talk to you. If you're a believer and you've made that decision, don't let Satan rob you, okay? Go back to the promises of God and trust him. In those moments of loneliness, in those moments of sin, in those moments of frustration, the one thing God doesn't want you to question is his love for you, is his commitment to you, is your salvation. We looked at, if you were with us on Wednesday night for Fellowship Feast uh, this last week, we, we looked at an amazing parable of the prodigal son and how the father's heart for him was not to cast him out, but to bring him close. And so you rest in him. You are his and you'll always be his. No one will snatch you out of his hand. And if you have that confidence, you are an uh, um, mm, unstoppable force. There you go. I was gonna say imstoppable. And I was like, that that sounds weird. Uh, You are an unstoppable force. Nothing can stop you. Because think about it. There's there's nothing. 
that even a, a threat to, to kill you, the worst thing that could happen is the best thing that can take place. That for the Christian who knows they're saved, there's just, there's no stopping. But I, I wouldn't feel right in closing today without giving uh, those who don't believe in Jesus an opportunity, if we do have any, um, if we have any unbelievers here in the room, I wanna give you an opportunity to commit your life to Christ, to, to give your life to him. That if you know Jesus, you'll, you'll know life. But if you don't, uh, you will be going to hell. And you need to take it seriously. This is not something to be uncertain on. This is not something to say, well, I, I hope I make it. I hope my goods outweigh my bads in life. There's no eternal scale. The only thing that matters in the afterlife life is if you had Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And so as we close, you can, you can hit the lights, Kevin. Um, no, one, no one pack away their stuff just yet. Um, so I want you to personally answer the question, okay? If you're a believer, I want you to answer it. And if you're an unbeliever, I want you to think about it, okay? If you were to die today, right now, say it's right now in this room, say it was on, the way, on your way home, that you think you'd be making it home, but something happened, car accident, it can happen. The, it's very clearly that in life that we're not promised tomorrow, that death can happen at any moment. And I think for so many people, death is the thing that they don't want to think about because they're scared, because there is uncertainty. And so death is the voodoo subject. You don't talk about it. But death is the, the most important subject we can talk about because it's imminent. It can happen at any moment. And the, if there is that hesitation, as I answer that, ask that question, okay, will you be going to heaven or hell? If there's hesitation, if there's that, well, I think so or I hope so, well, let's make that before you leave, let's make that into a no-so. Let's make that where you leave this room knowing that the worst could happen and it would be the best. And so you just bow your heads and uh, let's pray. And I'll give an opportunity. God, we come before you and Lord, I, I pray that for those who are believers in this room, Lord, would you remind them, would you speak your still small voice into their soul right now? Remind them of those sweet promises that we have in scripture. Lord, remind them now and then as, as tomorrow comes and Tuesday and Wednesday and if there's those moments throughout the week where they have uncertainty, would your Holy Spirit remind them of your word? Would they rest in the promise of Jesus that we have? And oh man, the joy and peace that comes from that. You can breathe, you can sleep, you can rest. We know that you give us sweet rest, Lord, when we, when we just believe you and we trust in you. Lord, I pray for anyone in here that, Lord, they don't know you, not personally, they know about you, they know your name, they know what you've done, but they haven't given their life to you. They believed it, but they've never received it. Lord, that for anyone that might be unsettled and, and, and it is the I think so or I hope so or I don't know, maybe it's the I don't know. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would convict them, that they would just have that burning inside of them, that they would just feel that urge that you would draw them by your kindness and your goodness 
and they would repent of their sins. So you can keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed and if you're ready to give your life to Jesus, if you're ready to make that I hope so and that I think so to a no so, let's, let's do that today. The Bible says it's simple, that you have to confess that you're a sinner. If they can repent of that sin, meaning being willing to turn from that, if you believe what Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago, that he traded places with us, that he was willing to take upon our sin and us take upon his perfection, completely unfair deal, but he's willing to do it for you. He's already done it. He's willing to impart that, that grace to you. It's not based upon what you've done. It's based upon what he's already done. And so if God's convicting you, I want to encourage you, don't hold back. So I believe right now God is speaking to, to some of you. Maybe you're a believer or an unbeliever. And if God's speaking to you today, I just want you to raise your hand and I just want to, I want to pray for you. And yeah, if you feel that, that tug that you like, no, I need to make this decision. I feel uncertain. And let's, let's change that. Anyone that feel like God's pulling on their heart? Raise your hand nice and high. Lord, I just come before you and Lord, I believe that that very moment, even before they rose their hand, Lord, that, that they're saved, that they're your daughter and daughters and sons. And I pray that you would speak to them now, Lord, that you would remind them of, the, of those promises that we have in you. That the Bible says that those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or that their sins have been taken care of, past, present, future. That they will never be separated from you in any way, ever again. That you are theirs and they are yours. And so God, we love you and pray that you would assure our hearts. And Lord, for, for any that maybe have been hesitant to fully come to you. Would you draw them by your goodness? We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.